Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, joined today by an industry titan, Rick Wolf, founding board member of the FSGA with Spotlight Sports Group, among other places, including Sirius Radio. Rick, what's up? It's a, it's a pretty big pull for us to get you on the show today. How's it going? Yeah, so when you say Titan, is that like a fat joke or something? <laughs> <laughs> I would have to make that more for myself, you know? I mean, me and the producer, Philip were talking pre-show about, like, college campuses and stuff. And I, I got to say, I miss being able to walk everywhere because the sedentary life is killing me now. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, you know, I, I, like a lot of people, put on the COVID-19. So, um, <laughs> Is that the know. new freshman 15, is the COVID-19? I, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. It wasn't the same thing. It's not drinking all the chocolate milk, but it is uh, – <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's uh, more it's more pizza and ice cream uh, for me over the last uh, 24 months or so with the uh, COVID mm. situation. Can't claim any different here. Uh, so this is the the week 14 preview show. Rick and I are going to go through all the games, go through major fantasy storylines, touch on some some big um, fantasy daily fantasy picks for it. We'll get started shortly, but let me mention that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions right now. It's a limited time offer to get our stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting info. So check that out at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show. Uh, Rick, let's get started with the games this Sunday at 1 p.m. with the Ravens at Browns first. That's in Cleveland where it's going to be 40 degrees and clear with 14 mile per hour winds and gusts to 25. I'll say in general, it's not super cold. Uh, this weekend across a lot of the country, despite it being ostensibly winter. Uh, but there is some win factors, so I'll try to bring that up. But, Rick, the major storyline for me is, like, what are your thoughts on this Lamar Jackson heavy blitzing trend that we've talked about of late? I think probably starting with that Dolphins game, teams have been blitzing him more and more, and he's performed much worse with the blitz than you would expect from a rushing quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's all about containment, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all about containment for, for Lamar. And, you know, Lamar has special talents, and they'll come out on a play or two here and there. And that's sort of what makes it whether that play goes for 14 yards or goes for 45 yards yeah. as to whether or not that breaks open the game. And a lot of times that can then put the, the defense on their heels. We haven't seen a lot of that recently. Um, and, you know, run blitz to stop the run I mean, is, not, uh, is not something that is uncommon. Yeah. But usually for a great running back and not usually for the quarterback. Yeah, to me, it's almost like if, if they had the full strength of their offensive line, and basically half their team is on injured reserve right now, but they're definitely missing some key linemen as well. I feel like it would be a different story because, you know, blitzing him from the perimeter would leave him lanes to run. And that's just not really working right now because so many guys are getting through. I'll say, too, that like looking at the Ravens coming schedule, it looks like a good turn from a blitzing perspective. The next three weeks go Browns, Packers and Bengals. They're all bottom 10 teams yeah. in blitz percentage for the season. But just looking at the last run of games, a lot of the teams that you wouldn't think of as being heavy blitzers, like the Bears and Browns, you know, they're bottom 10 on the season, but they blitzed a ton against the Ravens specifically. Each of their last of four opponents have blitzed 10% more than they normally do against the Ravens. So it seems like a strategy that teams are catching up to, right? Yeah, I mean, well, in general, right there, I heard Peanuts teacher for a lot of that. So thank you very much for, <laughs> womp, womp, for womp. delivering that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but I, you know, I will say it depends on your position in the standings and what you're fighting for right now. You know, if, if, you know, Baltimore in their, you know, in their particular situation right now, leading the division, fighting for, um, positioning in the playoffs, yeah. you know, those are all things that, you know, the blitz isn't going to matter when it comes down to crunch time. You know, Lamar is a, is a, is a big game player and, uh, and he's going to go and execute and get it done. I mean, you saw last week, he even got it he, he done in that game to bring it back, went for two points throw off yeah. by an inch or inch and a half. I think it's still um, a game winning play. And, uh, you know, and I, I think you always have to be worried about the best playmaker in mm -hmm. the game, regardless of, 
of the numbers that say X, Y, Z or ABC. I mean, I can't disagree with you there. And that kind of makes it funny that I'll pivot into my DFS play of this game is actually Devontae Freeman as opposed to Lamar or one of his pass catchers. But I like that he's just 5,700 in DraftKings. I think it's underpriced. And I suspect it's because there's a perception that he and Latavius Murray, recently back from injury, have more even of a split than I think they do. Uh, Freeman, I would say I've been very impressed by him so far this season. 64% rushing success rate. It's the highest among running backs with 75 or more carries. So he's really keeping them ahead of the sticks. And it's like he's been playing more and out-targeting a particular Murray in recent weeks, even with both backs. So it seems like he's the clear number one guy, don't you think? Okay, so when looking at things from a DFS perspective, I look at them maybe a little bit differently than mm-hmm. you do. Yep. So, um, you know, I'm a much more casual player. I'm not going to be playing 150 lineups, but I do play 10. Yeah. And so what I do is I have percent of exposure for each oh, yeah. different player. Perfect. So for a guy like Freeman, I might have I might, he might only be in one one of my lineups. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy I'm going to be ba- I'm going to be, you know, dead banking on because of his inconsistency, right? Yeah. And also the the ability that at any time the game plan can change. Not saying Harbaugh is Belichick, but you know, the game plans change from week to week. Uh and Latavius Murray goes off on a run and then all of a sudden he's the guy they're giving the ball to. Um so I think he's a much more dangerous and only GPP play. Yeah. Um, so just to set the stage for a DFS. No, talk. I mean, that's great insight. But I'm kind of hearing that you think that there's a bit of a riding the hot hand approach that Harbaugh will take with his backs. Is that what is kind of your your perception? I, we, we've seen that. But mm-hmm. all, but also, um, you know, Freeman, Freeman catches the ball well out of the yeah. backfield, too. So you'll see in situations if Baltimore gets down that you'll see Freeman, you know, Freeman in in, in a lot more spots. But what if Baltimore gets ahead? Yeah. Um, you know, then you're going to see pistol runs um, a lot more. And those pistol runs might be with Murray instead of Freeman. Yep. Makes a ton of sense. All right. Let's move on to the next game. Jaguars at Titans, 1 p.m. in Tennessee, 43 degrees and clear. Rick, one of the big stories last week with the Jaguars was James Robinson suddenly in the midst of a total timeshare. He had been over 50% snaps in all of his healthy games this year, but fell to 44% last week, had taken 14 plus touches every healthy game since week one and fell to nine with Carlos Hyde kind of filling in here. It seemed like a bit of a punishment with Robinson fumbling in the game, but Urban Meyer after the game seemed as surprised as anyone. How do you shake all of this out? And are you concerned about Robinson going forward? Well, seasonally, you know, certainly you have to figure out whether or not Robinson's better than your other options mm-hmm. based on the risk. But the reality is it probably had something to do with game flow. I mean, the Rams were absolutely smashing them in an, uncomfortable, yeah. in an uncomfortable manner. And those particular linemen handle Robertson better than they handle Hyde. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just situational. Sometimes yeah. you bring when you bring the numbers, when people bring the numbers in a lot, um, they make so much sense and everybody gets attached to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there are humans who play the game and there are humans who make the decisions. So um, nothing is, is straight out of a computer. And I think in this particular case, um, we're not going to know until the next game plays. Fair. But I think I think it was game flow. Um, and I think it was the fact that the Rams had, had Robinson's number. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to dispute you on that and the potential for stylistic things. It's just that based on an efficiency perspective over the broader term, Robinson has been much better than Hyde as a runner this year. Robinson, 17.7% rushing DVOA is the third highest among backs with 100 or more carries. Hyde, negative 11%, so 11% worse than an average back just in terms of general efficiency. So, like, I would take those numbers and say, in general, most weeks, you know, Robinson's probably going to continue to be the lead back. But uh, I don't know. Maybe, Everybody maybe likes I, Jekyll better than Hyde. <laughs> I guess you're probably right from that perspective. <laughs> I mean, maybe smartly then I'm pivoting the other way from a DFS perspective, looking at the Titans. 
I actually like Dante Foreman best of this group. I know Dontrell Hilliard had the better fantasy day. This would have been before the week 13 buyback in week 12, but Hilliard also had a breakaway touchdown run of, I think 65 yards. Mm-hmm. And Foreman to me just strikes me as a much better early down fit for a team trying to do the Derrick Henry thing of running, you know, setting up play action passes, et cetera. Yeah. He's big. He's 236 pounds. He's another guy with a really high rushing success rate, even if his yards per carry aren't that high. 2.7 yards after contact per attempt. Excellent. So, like, do you sort of see this the same way? Is it like, is is Foreman going to be more the guy, or do you think it's a pretty even split? Well, um, I don't own any shares in seasonal for him mm-hmm. in any of my 31 best balls or my 11 playout leagues. Sure. Uh, and I'm almost 100% sure he won't be involved in any of my DS, DFS thinking. Okay. Um, just because, again, in, in this situation, just hard, too hard to figure out. Um, you know, although we saw Sony Michelle eat, Jacksonville alive. True. Um, uh, Tennessee has been willing to and known to do the 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 screens. Three guys on one side. One guy mm-hmm. takes a step back, and they throw. Tannehill throws a short screen, and they do that kind of stuff instead of handing uh, handing to the back. So um, there's no way to figure that out, and I don't think unless you're looking at the local news. And I yeah. tell people who are listening right now, if you want to figure this out, go to where the local news is covering the Titans. The beat writers usually have an idea of what game plan might be, and they generally don't publish it until Friday or Saturday. Yeah. So on Friday or Saturday, sometimes the beat writers um, will have uh, will have a beat. <laughs> I think mean, that's what the game plan is going to be. Great advice for sure. All right, next up, Raiders at Chiefs, 1 p.m. in Kansas City, 45 degrees and clear with 13 mile per hour winds, gust to 29. So potentially an issue there, although probably not for Patrick Mahomes with his amazing arm. Uh, but my question here is really more about the Raiders and what you think Josh Jacobs can do against the Chiefs run defense. There are two factors here in my mind. One is the Chiefs run defense has gotten a lot better in the second half of the season. They were 32nd in run defense DVOA weeks one to five up to the top 10 since then. So big change there. But the other is that Josh Jacobs has been getting more work since the team's by slash general upheaval. Uh, and then suddenly Kenyon Drake is out for the rest of the season. So I could see this going either way. Do you have a kind of a leaning one way or the other? I mean, um, you know, Kansas City should take care of business here. Las Vegas is not that great a team. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's going to allow them to run that much. The Kansas City offense is running on all cylinders uh, in the last game and a half. Yeah. And uh, and if they continue that and they score early and often, it's going to be all Derek Carr and his weapons. Um, trying to trying to make the comeback and not as much Josh Jacobs. In a PPR, I think it might be worth it because one of the mm-hmm. plays the Raiders love to run is where it's a it's a, a chip block by Jacobs and then he runs five yards ahead and just turns around. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they do a ton of those. It's very much like Naheem Hines does in uh, in Indianapolis when he's the third down back, but they do it on every down with uh, with Jacobs when they're behind. Yeah. So in a PPR, I love Jacobs uh, on the half point PPR. It's like uh, FanDuel, Yahoo, not as much, um, you know, but Jacobs will probably be in the he'll probably be in the mix because I expect them to be playing from behind and uh, and their weapons aren't as sharp, uh, depending on what the injury status of Waller is. Yeah, I mean, I completely feel the same way and have a metric to, I think, support that, which is that before the buy, Jacobs had an 8.9 percent target percentage, but it's up to 16.1 percent since, which is eight. So I think. Like you said, he's playing much more of a role as a pass catcher, much more as a featured back, even before the Drake injury. So I like him. I actually think he's a really good DFS play. He's just 6,200 in DraftKings. So, I mean, I, that could be a huge value yeah. if he ends up catching five or six passes this week. And so now, Scott, don't we like almost immediately dismiss 
the 50, 5,700 Freeman since Josh Jacobs is only 6,200? I think so. It's I guess it's it's kind of what you're saying. Are you playing 100 lineups or are you playing 10, right? Because like right. I could see either of them having a big day. I just, I don't know. Is it like, is it in Foreman to have a Derrick Henry-esque two touchdown outburst? Like the Titans could end up smashing the Jaguars and maybe they're going to want to run power football against them. But, you know, all things considered, I definitely think Jacobs is a better value. I think he's about $1,000 underpriced. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, next up, Saints of Jets, 1 p.m. in New York, 44 degrees and clear. More wind involved, 15 mile per hour with gust of 30. <laughs> Rick, I ask everyone I can about this to get their thoughts, but do you trust Taysom Hill from a fantasy perspective? Uh, from a real-world perspective, you don't love to see the four interceptions last week, but he did run for more than 100 yards as a quarterback, finished top five at the position in fantasy scoring. So, like, how do you shake this out? It's the Jets. Hmm. So, um, I'll tell you, I have two seasonal leagues that had – Tough times at quarterback, you know, yeah. one with bye weeks for, for Wentz. And, um, and I went and picked up Taysom Hill in both of those mm-hmm. leagues. I think he's a start this week. Uh, I think a couple of the interesting things are that uh, all of the money is going on the over because, because mm-hmm. the, uh, the point spread, the over under over came down all the way to 43. Interesting. And then the point spread is down to five to five now. Um, so New Orleans only favored by five. So, uh, you know, that means the heavy money has been going on the Jets and the points, which is pretty weird hmm. to me. So, so I, the betting community believes doesn't believe in Taysom Hill mm-hmm. is what I'm saying as far as as being able to win the game. But fantasy people probably shouldn't care because he's going to rack up statistics, maybe the most on, on of anybody on his team. Yeah, to, to me, there's two angles to this. One is that is Hill has been a remarkably consistent fantasy performer, whatever you think of him from a real-life perspective. He's averaged 21 fantasy points per game in five starts the last two years. He started four games subbing for for uh, Drew Brees last year. That's 10th among current quarterbacks. Like, if that was his number for this year, it would be just yeah. behind Tom Brady. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. But from the, like, the Jets being, like, favored by – maybe favored is the wrong word, but, like, liked more by the betting community, I'm a little surprised – because I feel like I wonder how much of, of Hill last week struggling was about the Cowboys matchup in particular, because they're such a good pressure defense. Um, and they, they, they pressured Hill on 27.9% of dropbacks. Uh, that would have put you know the team top 10 uh, for the season. And the Saints are, are much better as protectors usually, getting guys like Teron Arpstead and Ryan Ramchick back. Maybe not this week, but in general. I feel like Hill is going to have an easier road. Not that I trust them, but it seems like they're factors that are leaning in the Saints direction here. Do you see any of that? Yeah, the, you know, the Jets play up and down to their to their competition, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm here in New York, so I see those games, and I, I also hear from it, and i also been a lifelong Jet fan. So, um, you know, like last week against the Eagles, you know, that game was staying pretty close until a mistake had it run away. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they beat the Rams early in the season. They played close. They played close with a bunch of other teams. They've come back late on a couple of other teams. So, you know, I, I don't know that... I think this will be a low-scoring game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they'll both keep it low, and I think the Saints will win by, by, you know, three or seven, you know, either twenty-one fourteen or something like that, twenty-one yeah. seventeen. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a lot of like you know touchdown scoring, a lot of tons of scoring, and I think it'll be more of a field position and defense game. Uh, the Jets' defense isn't that bad. I mean, just mm-hmm. in the secondary, and if Taysom Hill can't can't find that ac- you know accuracy in the secondary. They're not going to have four picks, but you know they'll they'll be able to keep them in in check, and and then they should be able to hold down the running game. You know, other than other than Hill scrambling. 
So well, and then Alvin Kamara, I think, is planning to play this week. So that would be his first time in about a month. I think. I, like, I'm wondering how big of a difference that would make. Like, you That's look a at huge the Saints. Difference. Yeah. You look at the Saints wide receiving core, and it's really bad. Deontay Harris is actually he lost his appeal and is going to be serving a three game suspension starting this week. So it's it's really the dregs out wide. But maybe Hill and Kamara can just play ball control ball themselves and go 49ers on them. And it's like 10 to 15 yeah. play drives trying to like get to third down, but then get new first downs and. I could absolutely see it being a really low scoring game, but that could still potentially work for Hill and then obviously Kamara from a fantasy perspective. So Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I'm not sure it works for Kamara to get in the end zone that many times. And also mm-hmm. when guys come back after a month, there is rust. The game is fast. Yeah. So the question is whether he can come back. I mean, we saw Dalvin Cook, I guess, come back last night and, <laughs> and just absolutely ridiculously dominate after being yeah. being away. That he's the exception. That was the exception, not the rule. Uh, generally have guys have kind of They'll kind of have that 15 for 60 in a touchdown <laughs> kind of game instead of a big game like he had. Yeah, Kamara doesn't have to worry about Kirk Cousins running in goal line touchdowns either. So, like, from a fantasy perspective, it's probably an advantage there for Cook. But uh, interesting, I definitely think Hill is a good value. I think in DraftKings at 5,600, he's a very low price for what I expect from him this week. So, like him there. There you go. All right, speaking of Cowboys, which we mentioned, Cowboys at the Washington football team, 1 p.m. Eastern in Washington, 45 degrees, clear, less wind, but potential gusts to 23, so potentially also a factor there. Rick, what are your thoughts on the Cowboys receivers? It seems strange, but we haven't really seen them play together very often. I think it's just two games this year where Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Dalton Schultz all played and were all healthy. Yeah, Cooper Cooper played last week, obviously, but coming off of, of actual covid I think there were conditioning-related issues. Hopefully, he's going to be in better shape this week. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, well, with all the weapons, of course, a million times better. Mm-hmm. So it was the offensive line they've been having trouble getting healthy. Yeah. So, and I, I, honestly, I don't know the status of it. I do. I do a large majority of my uh, studying on Saturdays because I feel sense. like I want all of mm-hmm. the news to be in. So I will be studying to figure out, you know, how healthy that line is, and studying practice reports for the Cowboys, and that's what you need to do here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they have 10 they also have 10 days to prepare. Mm-hmm. So having that more days to prepare and doing three games and 12 days before that probably makes them sharper. Um, I will say this. I'm seeing. Um, I'll call it tentativeness mm-hmm. in in Elliott that I hadn't seen before. So this year, yeah. Um, when when he used to hit the hole, he used to hit it with aggression and to try and punish people, it seemed. I'm seeing him hit the hole with a little juke step or a little mm-hmm. jump step. And then people are tackling. These are pros. Like the fakes he's trying to make on people to be, you know, it, it's not working well. I'd like, to see, I'd like to see him back to hitting the hole. Um, and hopefully, I mean, I'm sure his coaches see it if I see it. Yeah. So um, hopefully they can get him to get rid of that habit. You know, his habit of trying to, you know, get around people instead of go through them. Uh, and then I think. I think they'll just run on all cylinders. I think the Cowboys are contenders, to be honest. I definitely think so in the broader tent, the broader sense too. The running back part is is interesting because obviously Tony Pollard's been a highly efficient player, but another factor for that this week is apparently he tore his plantar fascia in his heel. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, he's probably going to play. I'm like, what? Like, how do these guys do this? It seems crazy to me, but I'm almost wondering. You've seen North Dallas 40, haven't you? Yes. Hell, I like needles. So. These guys are both potentially injured. I don't know, compromised or whatever. I don't know. I, I'm scared of the Cowboys running backs relative to what the, the usual high expectations are for them. I feel like there's put t- chances it could go either way. So really from a DFS perspective, I'd rather look at Antonio Gibson at 6,000 in DraftKings. Oh, yeah. 
I have some rushing splits here. Like one, I'll say before the buy, it's 4.0 yards per carry since 3.8. Doesn't really seem good, but he's doubled his avoided tackle rate and gone from 16 touches per game to 27.3. And while JD McKissick's injury, I think, was involved, I think it's a health related thing here, too, where he's gotten over his shin injuries. What were you saying in the pre show meeting about him catching the ball, too? Yeah, yeah. He's catching the ball a lot more, not because. Um, necessarily being targeted more or anything like that. He's running better routes and his hands are better. He's been, he's yeah. been he must have been working on it. The other thing that's very different from him and Elliot is they run a lot of uh, a lot of power um, mm. uh, power runs. They're not straight yeah. ahead. They're on an angle, and he's missing getting that getting hit that first time using that stiff arm um, and getting into space. And uh, so I, I'm seeing speed through the hole. I'm not, I'm not seeing hesitation. He's not trying to make mm. moves. He's going straight ahead and then using using his offhand in order to try and push people away. Um, and I think it's very effective for him. And you see him breaking into the second level uh, way more often than you than you did um, early last year. Late last year, he was yep. good. Love that. I feel like he's a great value right now from a fantasy sense because the early season, you know, disappointment, so to speak, is, is kind of dragging down the full season numbers versus what I expect from him going forward. So great opportunity there. Yeah. All right, keep trudging along. We got the Falcons at Panthers, 1 p.m. here in Charlotte, 48 degrees and clear. Uh, Rick, which is the real Cam Newton? In week 11, 78% completion rate, had the 10 carries and three total touchdowns. Week 12, that dropped to a 24% completion rate, just three carries, just one total touchdown before the week 13 bye. I mean, it's hard to get more extreme than those two performances can you can you get a sense of what it's going to be like going forward? No, only thing I can say is since he's back in Carolina, he loves to be at home. Yeah. Like you see when he scores a touchdown or something good happens, he goes to the crowd. Behind the bench, he goes to the crowd mm. and gives high fives to everybody. Uh, he just loves the adulation that happens mm -hmm. in Carolina. So I'm more likely to take a chance on him in Carolina than I am yeah. on the road. Um, he doesn't have like Ben Roethlisberger type mm. road home splits. Um, <laughs> and if you saw like... Last night, uh, Roethlisberger awful in the first half and luckily decent enough in the second half to save it. But honestly, time. Got to love that from a fantasy yep. player's perspective. I, I call it Oscar time for those who like uh, Sesame Street. <laughs> nice. Um, so, but uh, but I think that's the, that's sort of the factor here. Look, he's usually talented. Atlanta is a, you know, is a colander and uh, he might just be the water that pours through. So it's interesting. The home road split angle is one I hadn't really thought to look of. I think in part because I always assume that rushing quarterbacks are going to have lower splits, given that they get a lot of production from from carries and from from running it into the end zone. But interestingly, with Newton here, and I think with the Panthers all season, there seems to be a matchup lever with with their pass protection because their offensive line started bad, has gotten injured, and gotten a lot lot worse. And you'll notice that in week 11, just five combined sacks and pressures, but la uh, in week 12, I guess, 10 sacks and pressures allowed. And like, while the performances were more extreme than you would normally expect from that type of split, I, I don't think I would start Newton or a lot of the Panthers unless they were playing a really bad pressure defense. Guess what? The Falcons are 32nd in adjusted sack rate on the season. This may be one of your few opportunities to get the Panthers not under total duress, and so, like, this is a week where I, I would consider starting Cam Newton from a fantasy perspective. But granted, it's a huge risk, especially in a traditional league where this is it's fantasy playoffs for some people this week. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to start him if you have, you know, and, and if you have him, he's likely your second quarterback. Mm -hmm. So you likely have a good enough starter, especially if you're getting into the playoffs. So it would be hard to start him in seasonal. In daily, again, it's a different situation. But yeah. but in the same situation, you know, he won't have more than a 10 percent or maybe even in mm -hmm. two of my 10 lineups at most. 
Yeah, he's just 5,400 in DraftKings. I keep saying just, I mean, you know, there's a risk that that's baked into the price there, I'm sure. Do you do you feel better about Taysom Hill? Is it close? Like, do you have a sense of those two? Yeah, I think I would rather go with, I think I would rather go with Taysom Hill. He mm-hmm. doesn't have as much up and down, especially in cash games, but in GPPs, you know, taking a shot at, at Cam Newton in your lineup um, makes, he could, he can, he has a higher ceiling, I think. I think they probably both have a high ceiling, but I think what you're also saying is that fewer people probably will start Newton and that kind of makes him a good, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And All GPT, right, much better. Absolutely. All right. Seahawks at Texans, 1 p.m. Eastern in Houston in the dome there. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to <laughs> I'm not going to watch this game. Uh, major storyline. Is Adrian Peterson the Seahawks' number one running back now? It's a little bit complicated. He had the most carries last week in week 13, 11 for him, 10 for Rashad Penny, three for Travis Homer. But Homer had the, the big play touchdown. Penny had the most uh, snaps played. And then Alex Collins missed the game with a nagging groin injury and is probably going to come back this week. I mean, so many running backs. Can you make any sense of it for me? Yeah, I mean, I think what you do is you take the high tech tech decision making device mm-hmm. and you flip it. Yeah. And if it's heads, you go you go for <laughs> Peterson. And if okay. it's if it's tails, you, you go for Collins. I like it. I'm ranking Collins the highest in PPR formats this week. The highest being 46th among running backs. So like this is probably a situation where you're just gonna avoid everybody here. Um I know it hasn't worked for Collins this year from a fantasy perspective, but I gotta say his like his efficiency metrics look kind of okay. Uh, the 3.9 yards per attempt, not so much, but 51.5% rushing success rate is pretty decent and way better than everybody else on the team. Like Penny yeah. for the year, 22%. Uh, I know that's not a lot of carries. Peterson, like 34%, 13th lowest among running backs. To me, Collins is more the move the sticks guy, but I just don't know if the Seahawks have enough of an offensive line or enough of a commitment to the run to really make it work with so many guys being involved. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a, a matter of uh, personal physicality for me for uh, Peterson. We had him on our show <laughs> and Colton and the Wolfman, and yeah. I was remote and Glenn was in person. And Glenn says his hand still hurts four years later <laughs> from the handshake because um, yeah, he, Peterson has this thing where he he tries to to squish your hand until you 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 try to pull away. Yeah, well, he would definitely <laughs> smush me because I'm a soft soft fantasy football writer. Uh, probably I think Col- best, look, but- I think Collins is the play if you're going to play anyone at all. Yeah. Um, you know, in touchdown, touchdown only situation for Peterson, he will, he'll probably get the goal line work. He's one of the better goal line backs ever. I mean, for me, this game is exposing the fact that going through every game, maybe not that interesting from a fantasy perspective, hard to come up with the guys that you're looking to play here from a DFS perspective. I said like Pharaoh Brown, the tight end, what a value 4,600 in, in, uh, in FanDuel. But like, you know, are you starting Pharaoh Brown in your DFS lineups? Probably Uh, not, right? No, yeah, ew. exactly. But I, so, I mean, I did have Brevin Jordan in one of my oh, um, okay. lineups last week because I thought the matchup was right and the guys were hurt. And so there is, you know, sometimes there is for one lineup, there is an opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. him in the flex at 2,400 or 2,500, yeah. you know, gave a lot of other space for, for the stars to play. So, yeah, and I'm not sure how many DFS players are keeping up with the fact that that Brevin has been starting over Jordan Akins the last few weeks because who wants to follow the Texans? Let's be honest. Yeah. So let's move on to a game that's well, you know, I'm not sure this is that much more interesting, but Lions at Broncos, we got to do it. 405 Ew. in Denver, 56 degrees and clear. I want to talk about this just because I love Javante Williams. I went to my alma mater, UNC. Do you think he's a current star or a future star running back? I'm not giving you any other options. He's emerging. Yeah. So I would say current. 
Um, I think I, I've yeah. seen him emerge. You know, like I say, I watched the film, so um, mm-hmm. you can just see him getting used to it. When when rookies are first in the lineup, they're not hitting the hole as hard because they're not sure they have the right play. They're moving in the yeah. right direction. They're trying to get their footwork right. Right. They're trying to figure all that stuff out. He is smooth as silk now. And uh, you know, if the talent's going to come out, the rest of the season is going to be a, a good a good run for Javante Williams. So that's a really interesting that you point that out. Again, we have Derek Klassen, a scouting expert on the Tuesday show with us every week. And a few weeks ago, talking about him, he mentioned that he thought he saw some hesitancy in picking lanes and maybe not always going in the right direction with that. But I always that's come normal. back to the fact that 18.6% yeah, avoided tackle rate. That's number one of running backs with 100 or more carries and like well ahead of the field. Stevenson is at 15, McCaffrey 13%, and Dylan at, at 11%. So what's, like it, it falls off sharply. Yeah, what's the real number being that he was tentative early in the season? Probably higher than that. Yeah. Are you seeing that when you're watching him? Is there something about him where he can either like yeah, sidestep tackles or he's hit he's hitting the hole right and he's hitting it with that one with that one cut. Mm-hmm. So it's one cut left to right and then cut north and south. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great great way to play. It obviously worked great for him as a temporary at least number one running back. Uh, last week 178 total yards and a touchdown with Melvin Gordon out. But I'll say Melvin Gordon, I thought I think he's had a really nice season as well. Shows up really nicely in the metrics, is doing better than Williams from a rushing success percentage perspective. Now that Gordon may play, I'm a little bit less sure how this will shake out. Before the injury, it was almost an even 50-50 workload split. Do you think Williams gets any higher with Gordon back now that he's had the huge success, or does this go right back to where it was, at least for the rest of this year? Look, it's thunder and lightning, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, Gordon, Gordon of course, uh, not your typical goal line guy. He's no. he's not as big as they usually are. But um, but that's how it'll probably shake out. Inside the 20s, you'll see Gordon in the game. Outside the 20s, uh, outside the 20, you'll see yeah. you'll see Javanta. If he runs one in from 25, you know, <laughs> then he's going to get the touchdowns. But I think they'll 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 do a they'll do a share here for sure. They're both great running backs. But I think Javanta Williams is the one with the biggest upside, and he'll have a good game even with 15 touches. Even I agree. 15, 15 uh, rushes. Yeah. And I also think that the fact that this is the Lions matchup really helps because while I think the split is going to probably come back this week, you know, the Lions, they're bottom 10 in overall run def- in overall defensive DVOA, bottom 10 in run defense DVOA. They increase opponent run plays by 15% per game. So it's like, <laughs> this is an opportunity where even with the split, I think that both of these players, in particular Williams, could have a good fantasy day. I have them top 20 at the position this week. Although from a DFS perspective, I still think Jamal Williams across the field with the Lions may be the better value, 5,500 in DraftKings. I know the game script may not be great for the Lions. Despite the win last week, you would probably expect the Broncos to win this game handily. But DeAndre Swift still probably out with a shoulder sprain for another week or two. And there's just not much behind Williams right now. This Jamar Jefferson is the seventh-round rookie. They have a converted defensive back in Godwin. I don't even know how to say it. Igwin Bouquet? Uh, yeah, clearly I, I don't watch as much film as you do, uh, but it seems like Jamal no, Williams is dominating. I can't say anybody's name. Touches. 20 and 18 the last two weeks. He's so like, I feel pretty safe about Williams despite game script risk. Do you feel the same way there? Um, in a PPR? Yeah, but look what you yeah. just did right there. You said 5,500. You had Freeman at 5,700. Mm-hmm. We have Foreman at 5,400 and we have Josh Jacobs at 6,200. So like, pretty close. Yeah. I'm trying to squeeze up to Josh Jacobs in every situation that I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually you can because there'll be another wide receiver situation where there'll be a guy at 62 and a guy at 55. Yeah. And I'll like the guy at 55 almost as much where this is not this to me is not close. And once you move off to FanDuel and to Yahoo or any other half point mm-hmm. PPR ones, 
fan ball, whatever. Yeah. Um, now, now you're losing the receptions that Williams is likely to have. So you only get three points for the six receptions instead of six. So from a game script perspective, I'm not sure whether the Lions are in a worse spot in Denver or whether the, you know, the, the Raiders are in a worse spot in Kansas City. I mean, to me, those are equal chances of big blowouts on the road there. Well, I don't know. The Detroit's streaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's their time. Undefeated in the last week. Incredible, incredible success here for the squad. I will tell you that the survivor pool is filled up with Denver Broncos. Uh, yeah, week. I well, can't say I'm too shocked about that. Yep. And I'm out of mind. So, all right, let's keep things trucking. Giants at Chargers, 405 in LA in the Dome. Um, this, I mean, I've changed my projections 25 times this week related to this, but Keenan Allen landed on the COVID list earlier in the week. Mike Williams was a close contact COVID person with him, has not tested positive yet that I've seen. Allen reportedly is vaccinated. Williams reportedly is not. I don't know. A lot of stuff going on in this. I don't really want to get to that. That's one where you probably need to wait to Sunday and, and figure out who's going to play and who's not. My question for you, Rick, is what combination of them being out would actually impact your opinions about, you know, Justin uh, Herbert being a good start for you in fantasy? If both were out, would that scare you? Or is Herbert just like too good of a player that you're okay with it regardless? I think Herbert's too good of a player. Um, I mean, it obviously depends on who else I have at quarterback. You know, mm -hmm. if I have Aaron Rodgers too, or, you know, I have, sure. well, yeah. you know, if, or if I have, you know, Patrick Mahomes too. Yeah. But if, but if it's like the same situation we were just talking about Cam Newton or Herbert, I'm starting Herbert. I mean, I, I, I can't really tell you that I disagree. I think when I, I temporarily updated, assuming that Mike Williams was out, I have him back in as we're recording this on Friday at one. But I think Herbert fell from like second to fourth in my quarterback rankings. And I get that like my system may not be good enough at picking up. When you lose both of those players, you're stuck with a deep specialist and Jalen Guyton. You have a third round rookie in Josh Palmer. You have a returner in Andre Roberts. Everybody else probably is going to be a practice squad type call up. Like it's Jared Cook and Parham. You, yeah, that's your tight ends. True. I mean, but it gets pretty barren um, from at least from a wide receiver perspective. But I just I don't think it would move the needle enough to knock three him out of my backs. top ten. And you have three running backs, also two of which can line up at wide receiver. Eckler can really catch the ball. So I, yep. you know, Eckler's I think I'm capable, with you there. And he's capable of lining up at wide receiver and playing wide receiver when necessary. Mm -hmm. So they could they could have um, Jackson or. Or Kelly in the backfield, yeah, and and have Eckler lined up on the outside. I think Herbert will figure it out. He seems to always do that. He's he seems to lock in. You know, yeah. his his floor is two fifty and two. You know, <laughs> I agree. And, yeah, and you know, ceiling. You know, the ceiling. You know, four and a quarter and four. So, you know, he's a plug and play for me. Well, fingers crossed. We won't have to deal with that. I hope that both of the receivers can play this week. But curious about your thoughts on the other side of this with Saquon Barkley. He's six thousand in DraftKings, so kind of in that. Jacobs range as well. And the workload hasn't been there this year. He's had 17 touches each of the last two weeks, which is good, but he's only gotten to 20 touches once this year in eight games. He got to 20 touches 20 times his first two years in the league. So it's been a different ball game since the injuries, but I think we've, we've kind of banged home on this show. The chargers are such a great opponent for runners to face. They're 32nd in run defense DVOA, a big booster of run plays and rushing touchdown rate. So how does it shake out here for you with, with Barkley from a fantasy perspective? Yeah, I mean, it has to be considered, um, you know, but he's, again, in that same range with Josh Jacobs, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm still taking Josh Jacobs first, but maybe I'm having a share or two of him. He's yeah. capable of the big game, hasn't had it yet, probably dying for it. Probably the Giants and the Giants fans are dying for it. Mm -hmm. um, I was at the game uh, two weeks ago. No. Yeah, two weeks ago. Um, wearing my Saquon Barkley jersey, so um, you know, in 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 
into him getting back to prominence yeah. and all the giant fans I know are into it too. Like since you're a little bit closer to that team than, than I would be as an outsider for sure. Like how much do the quarterbacks kind of play into this? Like Daniel Jones seems like he's going to miss several more weeks. We're hoping Glennon's going to play, but he suffered the concussion last week. You could end up with like a Jake Fromm starting yeah. a quarterback that might disqualify all of their skill players from a fantasy perspective. But how would you judge that side of it? Well, um, inexperienced quarterbacks tend to find the tight end and tend to find the check down. Yeah. It could actually be fine for Barkley and, and even for Booker um, nice. to, to be finding the check down and good for the tight end. So good for Ingram, um, but not great for any of the, any, all the other skill position players when they run tight routes, you know, that ball is going to be thrown a foot in either direction for, you know, guys who aren't used to the chemistry of different, yeah, yeah. different route running. And that makes it tough, but the short, the short cross the cross, you know, cross the seam, Mm -hmm. Um, tight end routes are pretty common with, you know, looking at your first progression, your second progression is almost always that. And then your third progression is the check down, right? So he'll be, he'll be on the, the, the second, third and fourth progressions. And, and that's what happens to young quarterbacks. Yeah. Makes sense for me, but I'm, I'm hopeful that the Glennon's going to make it through the concussion and be able to play this week. Uh, but let's keep going. We got the 49ers at Bengals 425 in Cincinnati, 53 degrees and clear. Rick, do you think that T. Higgins has passed Jamar Chase from a fantasy perspective? Is there I've even had, like a number one here? Like, what are your thoughts? I've had a hard time figuring out what to do with this particular matchup because, uh, you know, the Bengals ended up in a shootout uh, last week and they had a defensive game a couple weeks before that. Mm-hmm. 49ers play ball control most of the time with the, with a, uh, a team like this. So they try and take the air out of the ball and you'll see possibly a lot of running from them. I don't know who will do that running. Mm-hmm. Um but whether Wilson's healthy or whether it's going to be hasty. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, I think Jamar Chase has taken himself out of that. And it's not anything he's targeted. They can be targeted exactly the same number of times, but Chase just doesn't catch all the balls and T Higgins does. So that's true. That's just, I mean, they can get 10 targets each a game and, and Chase will have six catches and Higgins will have eight. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just a function of, of um of getting chase more get, getting chase comfortable to the game and the speed of the game and the hand play of the game i was explaining this to um somebody i was watching the game with uh uh the hand last night the hand play of cornerback versus wide receiver has gotten to such a deep depth mm-hmm. and the uh, cornerbacks toughest job in football in my opinion have gotten really adept at getting their hands in the way or knocking the ball out after it's caught because a football move has to be made in order right. for it to be a catch now. So instead of actually trying to intercept it, their job is to wait for it to be caught and knock it out. So their fist, their fist punching. You saw yeah. on, the, on the last play of the game last night, um, the tight end uh, Fry, Fry had the Fry ball man. in his hands. And then the super smart Harrison Smith punched it out. <laughs> he didn't try to get in between that beforehand. He waited for him to catch it. He literally held his hand back yeah. and then waited for it to be caught and then crushed it to, 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 to win the game. So we're seeing just a different style of play there, which is harder to understand for a guy in college who never mm-hmm. had that. And you saw in that that touchdown play that he dropped, it's exactly what happened. It hit both of his hands, and then the guy's hand came in. And he was yeah. totally not expecting the hand to be there. So, uh, yeah. That type of thing, it probably complicates some of the metrics that we're looking at. But I'll say that while the Jamar Chase hands sort of preseason storyline went away, I think he is up to nine drops, at least by Sport Radar charting for the season, as one of the league leaders. And not going to kill the guy beyond the fact that he's a rookie. Like the best 
fantasy, like the best receivers in real life tend to have the most drops because they're getting targeted all the time. But it is potentially a factor here. And it's like you said, is Higgins is catching more of the targets that he's seeing. Higgins also seeing more targets of late 22, the last two weeks versus 11 for chase. The other thing is this was from a touchdown perspective, while they're seeing similar numbers of red zone looks, I'll say that Higgins has been a little bit unlucky with four touchdowns versus 4.5 expected touchdowns using OTD kind of research. Chase, meanwhile, a big overachiever with eight touchdowns versus 6.1 expected. I can't figure out whether I think that's going to continue or not because Chase is such a big, big play threat. And maybe he'll just keep having some of those 40-yard touchdowns over the course of the season. I don't know. In the end, I end up having them both in my top 20, 19th and 17th in my true talent wide receiver rankings. Um, but it's interesting. Like before the season started, I thought that Chase was clearly going to be the number one guy. And Higgins keeps rolling from a fantasy perspective. Is probably a bit underrated. Yeah. I'll tell you this. Both of my running backs may come from this game in, uh, you know, if Mitchell doesn't play in Hasty and, uh, mm-hmm. and Mixon. You know, Mixon who's plug and play everywhere. Absolutely. And so my DFS angle of this was looking at the 49ers backs. I've wrote down Jermichael Hasty. The most recent thing I've seen is that Jeff Wilson is probably the expected starter, but there's injuries everywhere here. Yeah. I think Elijah Mitchell, I think, is is leaning unlikely to play based on what, what Kyle Shanahan has Wilson, told reporters. Wilson too, though, right? Wilson hurt too. Wilson aggravated his knee injury, didn't play last week. I think he was on the either the PUP list or IER for like the first half of the season. So that's a major concern. Um and Trey Sermon is on injured reserve now too. So like it could be that Jermichael Hasty is really the only healthy guy and they're bringing in a Brian Hill type. Uh, and if that happens, like Hasty, absolute huge value. He's just 4,700 in FanDuel. But I mean, even if Wilson is the starter, I think, I think he's going to be a pretty nice value too. Whoever gets the role here, it's just such a, a great offense to be a part of from a rushing perspective. Yeah, they signed Hill off the practice squad, so he's going to be active. Mm-hmm. He'll, He'll be, be active on yeah. Sunday. Okay, a couple more games to hit, and then we'll let you go. Uh, Bills at Bucks, 425 in Tampa Bay, 77 degrees and clear, the one warm weather game, not counting the dome games here. Um, question for you, Rick, do you think the Bucks are going to be able to run on the Bills? Overall, the Bills still look like a really good run defense. They're sixth in run defense DVOA, but interestingly, they've, they've really struggled, struggled in a power uh, type of perspective The Colts are eighth in power rushing success on the season. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor, 185 yards and four touchdowns on them. The Patriots were seventh in power rushing success on the season. They had a ton of success, but obviously weather was a big factor there. The Bucs are first in power success. So I'm honestly thinking that Leonard Fournette might be able to kind of do that Jonathan Taylor move here. But what do you think? Like how much of this is overthinking a couple of games here? uh, That's but, you know, interestingly enough, the, the Bucks do the opposite of what everybody does. Everybody else mm-hmm. does. They establish the pass and then they begin the run. Absolutely. Um, most people establish the run and then play action pass. Um, so they they literally play action pass from from down one, and they do the opposite uh, the opposite of that. So once they establish the pass, then yes, I think you know you have you have Rojo and Fournette just owning probably owning this game, mm-hmm. um, and. Fournette can catch the ball out of the, out of the backfield very well too. So uh, Fournette, Fournette could be a strong play here for sure. So but the first that, touchdown will be a passing touchdown. Yeah, I was going to say like, so the bills are, I think still pretty easily the number one pass defense by DVOA. Like, do you have any concerns about Brady being able to kind of move the ball against them? Or is it just too much talent on the buck side of things? It's too much talent in the brain of Brady. Mm-hmm. So you throw all numbers away in my opinion, when you face a guy like Brady or even sometimes Rogers who have the ability to see defenses differently than others and then have the ability to make throws that nobody else can. It's true. And Brady, a pocket passer, but you know, 
Aaron Rodgers on the run or even Mahomes, maybe not as much this year, but, you know, on the run, throwing it half sidearm and then splitting it in between two, two defenders hands in order to get it to his guy. Right. <laughs> so um, I think all bets are off when it comes to any kind of, any kind of defensive numbers, you know, they'll shut down one receiver with their, their, with white. Is it the, 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 well, Trey White, lockdown. he ended up. He, I think, he tore his ACL um, a week or two ago. So, like, we haven't really seen the Bills have to deal with that yet because the Pats just ran every play. But it's possible their pass defense could get markedly worse losing their number yeah. one cornerback. Yeah. So if they don't have the shutdown quarter cornerback to shut down Godwin, mm-hmm. you know, um, then you know all, all bets are off because they're going to have to double Godwin, and then doubling Godwin leaves leaves Evans and Gronk to uh, to do the damage. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to Sunday night. Bears at Packers, 8.20 p.m. Eastern time in Green Bay. 32 degrees, clear, 10-mile-per-hour winds, gust to 24, obviously getting colder as the night moves on. So I guess the the biggest real-world news for this game is that Justin Fields is getting the start over Andy Dalton. Like, I don't think that's really a fantasy angle per se, but do you think that Fields being the quarterback has any other fantasy implications? Well, I hope they're going to control the ball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hope they're going to give the ball to uh, Montgomery a lot. So, um, you know, and when not pulled out of his arms and, and Fields runs, I hope they do a lot of pistol. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't know, Fields, Fields just, from what I've seen, the accuracy is just, it's just awful. He's incredibly talented. Yeah. But maybe that's because there was an injury hidden, and now with a little bit of rest, he's got it done. But you see that sometimes with quarterbacks where they're incredibly inaccurate for a little bit. We saw it with Mahomes earlier this season. Yeah. I was like, he didn't really throw that ball. That, you know, that's inaccurate. That's not him. And now he's accurate again. So maybe it's just a, you know, a little time, time healing and maybe he'll get back to accuracy, but I, you know, he really only has one, one good target. So uh, in Mooney, so, you know, he, he will hopefully have Allen Robinson back. He's missed the last month, but I think is expected to play this week. So maybe the full compliment for the first time. Like I said, he'll only have one good, good uh, good target (laughs) Mooney. Um, I mean, I feel like, Part of the problem is, at least based on the scouting opinions that I've heard, is that like he's at his best kind of stretching the ball down the field. But it's just that type of approach where you have to hold the ball a little bit longer. It's just not necessarily a great fit with their pass protection right now and just with his inexperience and like reading pressure and stuff. So it it all adds up to pretty bad. He's got a negative 38% passing DVOA rate. That's the worst among regular starters. It's heavily influenced by the sack totals. But like from a fantasy perspective, it's it's just not good. And the fact that he's not even throwing the ball as much as that, like a, a traditional drop back passer is, yeah. I think that like even Darnell Mooney, even when he's getting like 35% of the targets, it's just from a fantasy perspective, I just don't think it's going to work. He actually fell to outside my top 40 at the position with the, the switch to fields at starter. I just don't think there's going to be the workload there to really support it. So Montgomery is really the only one that I would consider assuming he plays now he's yeah. mispracticed this week. He's got shoulder groin and glute injuries. So it's kind of like all over the place. Generally not a good thing. No, but like and it's, it's tough because it's a Sunday night. Yes. It's tough because it's Sunday night. So you may not even really know, but like hypothetically he could get ruled out before the 1 PM games. And if that happened, like, would you consider Khalil Herbert? Like he, he had a lot of fantasy success at least um, while Montgomery missed some time earlier in the year. But like, what do you think of him as a player? I think you always include the backup, um, you know, if it's on your on your team and you have an opportunity or at least someone who's later in that game. So you can come yeah. as close to game time as possible. Um, so I don't think that's an awful thing. Take the last player on your roster, a guy who's never mm-hmm. going to play, dump him off, get Herbert onto your roster. 
and then at least be able to make that decision at game time. Um, and, you know, Her- Herbert's fine. Yeah. But, you know, fine generally isn't good enough to be winning you championships. So, but he's fine. Fine. You know? Yeah. You know, I, when I say fine, you know, I think of 15 for 60, two catches for 20, mm-hmm. and then a touchdown every other game. Yeah. That's fine. I agree. And I, I think a lot of that circumstance, because like it's it's interesting how similar he and Montgomery are from a metrics perspective, you know, 4.1 versus 4.2 yards per carry, 1.9 versus 2.1 yards after contact per attempt, 9.6 versus 8.9% avoided tackle rate. Like, I think Montgomery's better, but I think Herbert could be a, a long-term starter in the NFL, but I just don't think the Bears are the greatest circumstances for fantasy success especially probably this week. If, if you expect the Packers to build a lead, it might not be a good game script. So I don't necessarily love it this week, but it could be a really good DFS value, but you would really need to know that Montgomery's out before the 1 PM window to, to probably risk that. All right. One more game to hit on is the Monday night game. Uh, in the, the only game of the week, you know, <laughs> Rams at Cardinals. It is a pretty fun game. I got to say, um, so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to highlight from a real-world perspective. From a fantasy perspective, I wanted to get your read on Sony Michelle. Obviously had a huge fantasy week last week, um, subbing for, uh, for, for Daryl Henderson, who was out. I think Henderson is, is probably going to play. I'm not 100% sure there. But Sean McVay also told reporters how much he liked Michelle as a player that keeps the team ahead of the sticks. And Michelle is actually the number one running back with 100 or more carries with a 58.3% rushing success rate this season. So he really is keeping them ahead of the sticks. Yeah. Is there any concern in your mind that he could end up taking the number one job away from Henderson? Or is it just well, no worries, it's an injury thing, and that's it? As a Rams fan, not concerned at all. Because okay. I think I think Sony Michelle is, quite frankly, the better, the better oh. straight-up runner. Interesting. Um, I think Henderson is is better at those at the the powers and the sweeps and the and the mm-hmm. picking up the catches. They would be good as uh, they would be very very good as Michelle being the first and second down back and Henderson being the third down back. Um I think that would be a winner for for my Rams. Um so <laughs> fantasy I, players don't want to hear that though. But yes, <laughs> fantasy players who are banking on Henderson, but yeah. honestly if you decided to bank on Henderson, um you know, then you certainly weren't playing in my smart system that Glenn and I have. Um three bona fide locked in <laughs> running backs and the first four picks, and then you would have three other running backs and he'd be your fourth. Yeah. So, and he was going, he was going late second, early third, by the time we got to close to the start of the season, which I think was way too early. So in 31 best balls, I have zero, zero Henderson's and I'm a Rams fan. Yeah. So I think if people were drafting him that early, they, they should have been expecting those results. And I think Sony Michelle's the better, the, the better overall player as far as fantasy players go. Henderson probably catch more passes, so PPR, mm-hmm. um, I kind of like them the same. Uh, but in non-PPR and half-point PPR, I like Michelle better. Well, I'm glad that you're a Rams fan because I wanted to ask you about Van Jefferson as well. <clears throat> so, like, he, his – I wouldn't say his workload has is, is changed dramatically since the Robert Woods injury. He had played 80% or more of snaps all season. He's seeing more targets, but he was always on the field. But interestingly, it seems like his red zone involvement has really increased – He's got 17 red zone targets since week seven is second behind Cooper cup. So like, do you think that he's kind of ascending? Are you, are you worried that Odell Beckham is going to put him in the back seat? Like what are your thoughts on Jefferson? The well, player? Everybody would love for Odell Beckham to put him in the back seat, but that hasn't <laughs> I happened. I love Jefferson. I don't want that. That hasn't yeah. happened yet, but you know, Jefferson's coming along exactly how 
I think it's his second year, maybe his third year. Second, um, absolutely. Second year, yeah. But he's coming along on the route running and on the hand fighting. Um, I noticed uh, this this past week he made a catch. It was about a 20-yard 20, 20 catch or so going towards the sidelines with a, with, with a defender right on his shoulder. And he just took his hand, put it on his helmet, and just nudged like that, and then used both hands to catch the ball. And mm-hmm. that just kept the guy away from him. It wasn't going to be a penalty because the arm wasn't extended. Yeah. Um, and he's those little things are what, you know, the, the times that you can – because the way you turn a cornerback or a defender is you t- you hit their helmet. So you'll see guys push their helmet just a little bit and then yeah. make the catch. Guys who push their helmet or push their chest all the way out, those are the ones who get the offensive pass interference. But it's that hand play um, that has gotten a lot better for him, and his route running is his route running is sharp now. I love that. And and for me, like at 6,100 in FanDuel, he's a really nice value. I just think that he's going to be a big touchdown scorer going forward. Something that I I think that he's just surrounded by so much star power that people just don't think of him in that way. But I think he really is a player on the rise. Rick, it's been a huge pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining. Can you tell all of our fans the best places to hear you, including the Sirius radio show, obviously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, Colton and the Wolfman on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, XM87, Sirius 210. Uh, we break down movies. This week, Denzel Washington on Tuesday. Love so <laughs> we break down movies and we make games out of out of them uh, for your fantasy pleasure. So I'm uh, not sure how we'll do American Gangster yet, but we probably will. Not sure how we'll do glory, but we probably will. Okay. And uh, we do that every week. Sounds tremendous. Everybody check that out. Rick, incredible Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame guy there. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us on the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show and the broader podcast network this week. If you're in the fantasy playoffs this week, best of luck. Hope you keep things rolling. And regardless, come back every Monday to uh, Monday to Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time to catch us on the live show. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch, whatever is your pleasure. Thanks so much. Enjoy your weekend and we'll catch you next time.